You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking Rates and Lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Rico Muhammad. This is the Rakes and Lanes podcast, and we want to thank you guys for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us tonight, whether you're listening on the recorded show or whether you live with us live as we are broadcasting tonight. We have with us tonight is normally the night that we have uh, transportation law. Hank Seaton is normally our special guest the third Monday of every month, but, uh, excuse me, a third Monday. Uh, <laughs> you can tell I completely got something else on my mind that I want to talk about later. Um, but it, the third Wednesday of every month is, is usually Hank Seaton's time to spend with us to go over transportation law issues and questions. Uh, Hank was not able to make it to, with, to be with us tonight, but he was able to make a special call and got Mr. Rick Gobble to uh, pinch hit for us tonight. And uh, you probably know Rick from the uh, Dave Nemo Morning Show. He uh, does a segment with Dave Arrow. Um, I think every other Monday or uh, something like that, uh, transportation, safety, and compliance. Uh, so if you got any questions surrounding or pertaining to safety, compliance, ELDs, tonight is the perfect night to get those questions in and uh, go ahead and press the number one. We will try to get your call screened and get you up and on board to get your question in. But First, without any further ado, this is the Race and Lanes podcast, so we're going to jump right into what it is that we want, that we normally cover. And this week's uh, USDA truck fruit and vegetable truck rate report is out, and there is a little bit of movement compared to last week. There are no areas that show an outright shortage of trucks. We have several areas that have slight shortages, and those areas that present those opportunities are is the South District, California. Central and South Florida, Aristotle County, Maine, and Eastern North Carolina. All of those areas that we just listed off are areas that are identified as having a slight shortage of trucks compared to the, the demand in those areas. So if you are working that spot market, uh, working the produce market right now, those are some areas that present some opportunities, and you can take advantage of those. Everywhere else on the report is showing that they have that it is an adequate supply of trucks relative to the demand. We will get a copy of this report posted and up and on board on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page for your viewing pleasure here shortly. Jumping over, getting into this week's DAT trend lines report. Um, Rates moderated last week as capacity returned to the market. Truck post increased for all equipment types. The national average van rate declined by $0.03 cents per mile, while the average reefer rate fell by $0.04, cents and flatbed prices held steady. Rates for all three equipment types are still higher than their March averages, and flatbed load-to-truck ratio has exceeded 100 loads per truck for the past three weeks taking a little bit more in-depth look into the trend lines report. Looking at the van, the dry van demand and capacity portion of the report, 
for the week of April 8th through the 14th. Van load posts declined by 1%, while truck posts increased by 11%. That caused the van load-to-truck ratio to fall by 11%, dropping down to 6.6 loads per truck. The national average rate slipped by 3 cents. Taking a look back historically, the van load-to-truck ratio dipped slightly in March compared to February, but it's still well above the norm for this time of the year. Van load postings increased by 14% in March compared to February, but truck posts increased 15%. As a result, the March load-to-truck ratio declined by 2%, dropping down to 6.9 van loads per truck. The March ratio was 116% higher than it was of the same time March of 2017. Taking a look, uh, well, excuse me, the fuel prices increased by 1.9% over the past week. Now the national diesel average price for diesel is $3.10 per gallon nationally. Uh, let's take a look and see how the dry van rates were performing over the previous week of April 8th through the 14th. The average van rate fell by $0.03, cents, dropping down to an average of $2.21 per mile as truck posts increased 11% last week. Still, that's $0.06 cents higher than the March average and $0.53 cents higher than a year ago. The load-to-truck ratio for vans declined last week Taking a look back historically, we already covered a little bit of it, but the national average van rate for March was $2.15 per mile, up $0.03 cents from February. That's the second highest monthly average, surpassed only by the record high of $2.24 per mile in January of 2018. Last month's rate was $0.52 cents higher than the average of March 2017 just a year ago. Taking a look around the country, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, the average spot market rate for dry vans coming out of the city of Brotherly Love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is $2.26 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia, shows an average spot market rate of $2.43 per mile. Moving up into the midwestern portion of the United States, Chicago, Illinois, checks in setting the benchmark for dry vans at $2.59 per mile on the spot market. Moving down into the south-central portion of the United States, Dallas, Texas, shows $2.05 per mile on the spot market. And wrapping up the dry vans coming out of the left coast, Los Angeles, California, shows $2.31 per mile on average for dry vans. That will wrap up the dry van portion of the DAT trend lines report. Let's jump over and look at Flatbed segment, the flatbed segment for the demand and capacity. Flatbed load postings increased 1% and truck postings increased by 8%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to decline 7%, dropping down to 103.3 loads per truck, still slightly below the previous week's record level of 111 loads per truck. The national average flatbed rate was unchanged. So if you are a flatbedder, I mean, you you are really in high demand right now. So there's opportunities abound for you if you are a flatbedder. 
taking a look back historically compared to February, flatbed load posts rose 41% in March, while truck posts increased by 3%. That boosted the load-to-truck ratio by 37% compared to the previous month at 90.8 loads per truck. The ratio was 148% higher than in March of 2017. Let's take a look and see how the spot market rates were performing for flatbeds over the previous week. Uh, the national average flatbed rate remained at $2.63 per mile for the second week in a row. That's the highest flatbed rate ever recorded in DAT trend lines history. Capacity, the flatbed market remains extremely tight. Last week, the load-to-truck ratio for flatbeds was 103.3 loads per truck. Taking a look back historically, compared to February, the national average flatbed rate in March increased by $0.16 cents to $2.53 per mile. Flatbed rates are $0.50 cents higher than they were the same time March 2017, a year ago. Taking a look around the country for flatbeds, starting out in Harrisburg, PA, we show uh, actually setting the benchmark for flatbeds, $4.02 per mile on the spot market coming out of Harrisburg. Dropping down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia, shows an average spot market rate of $3.10 for flatbeds. Moving out Midwest, Rock Island, Illinois, showing $3.61 per mile for flatbeds on average on the spot market. Dropping down to the south central portion of the United States, Houston, Texas, is the representative city showing $2.90 per mile on average on the spot market. And wrapping up, coming out of Phoenix, Arizona, $1.88 per mile on average for spot market rates for flatbeds. Jumping over into the reefer portion of the DAT report for the demand and capacity. Reefer load postings declined by 6%, while truck postings increased 11%. That caused the national load-to-truck ratio for reefers to drop 15%, uh, coming down from 11 loads per truck to 9.4 loads per truck. The national average reefer rate was only four cents lower than it was last week. Taking a look back historically, in March, reefer load postings increased 23%, while truck posts added 15% compared to February. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to rise 7% to 10.5 loads per truck. The ratio was up 68% compared to March of 2017, same time last year. Let's take a look at the national spot market reefer rates for the week of April 8th through the 14th. The national average reefer rate fell $0.04 cents to $2.44 per mile, which is $0.04 cents above the March average and $0.50 cents higher than one year ago. The national load-to-truck ratio for reefers also declined last week. In March, historically speaking, in March, the national average reefer rate was $2.40 per mile. That was one cent lower than the February average. Compared to March of 2017, the reefer rate was 53 cents higher. Taking a look around the country, 
starting out in the Northeast, Elizabeth, New Jersey is the representative city showing an average spot market rate for reefers at $2.20 per mile. Dropping down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Lakeland, Florida, the representative city showing average spot market rates at $1.84 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, Green Bay, Wisconsin is that representative city showing average spot market rates at $3.31, leading the charge across the nation. Uh, dropping down into the south-central portion of the United States, McAllen, Texas, coming out of that Rio Grande Valley, $2.47 per mile on average. And coming out of the west coast, Fresno, California, being the representative city, showing an average spot market rate of $2.49 per mile. We will also have that report up and available for you on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page here shortly. And now to the portion of the show where we, we kind of dread doing it, but it's a necessary thing that we got to cover real quickly. Uh, this is the Bad Broker Report. Get the pen and paper ready to write down MC numbers and everything so that you can be prepared. Make sure hopefully nobody that you dealt with is on this list. Uh, picking up from last week, AG Specialties LLC. Uh, FMCSA shows that their trust fund is canceled. They have over $24,000 in non-payment complaints that have been reported. But Nita Truck Brokers, Inc., their DOT number is 222-3062. MC number is 317-771. FMCSA shows that their trust fund is canceled. They have over $128,000 in non-payment complaints that have been reported. Southeast Service Transportation and Carriers, LLC, that DOT number is 224-4825. That MC number is 685019. FMCSA shows that their surety bond is canceled as of 2-16-2018. They have over $256,000 in non-payment complaints that have been reported. Old Town Brokerage, Inc., that MC number is 567-053. FMCSA shows trust fund is set for cancellation on 4-11-18. They have over $116,000 and active non-payment complaints that have been reported. Blue Thunder Truck Brokerage, Inc., Blue Thunder Cartage, Inc., that DOT number is 221-5463, MC number is 247-270. Over $24,000 in active non-payment complaints have been reported. Zion Metals, Inc., this is a shipper out of Houston, Texas, zip code 77036, they have over $32,000 in non-payment complaints that have been reported. Highway 1 Logistics, Inc., that MC number is 545-342. FMCSA shows surety bond is set to cancel on 5618. They have over $62,000 in non-payment complaints that have been reported. And the last one on the list is R&Co uh, &And uh, Holdings, Inc., MC number is 545-342. FMCSA shows that the surety bond is set, for, set to council on 4-2018. They have over $150,000 in active non-payment complaints that have been reported. That wraps up 
this week's bad broker report. Hopefully you don't have anybody that you have been dealing with uh, on that list. And without any further ado, let's welcome our special guest for this evening, Mr. Rick Gobble. Rick, how are you this evening? Rico, I'm just doing extremely well. As I tell people every day, I'm living large, buddy. I am blessed. So life's a beach. Sounds good. Sounds That's absolutely the, the attitude to have. Well, Rick, um, <laughs> since, we, since we are live now with the ELDs, the, the enforcement has begun, where do we uh, – what what are some things that we need to be aware of and be conscious of with this uh with the new implementation of this and what are some of those things that we definitely need to make sure that we are uh on top of on our P's and Q's so that we are within the letter of the law. Uh Rico, before I dive into that, I really enjoyed those numbers there. Uh, I've I've, no, I've never heard those numbers. That's that's fantastic information and uh I think certainly for you folks who are out there trying to make a living, uh, hauling freight every way, any kind of freight you can find or whatever you've got to haul it with, I think it's important to know what's paying well and what's not. And I also think it's important to know which brokers are taking advantage of the carriers out there. There's not many people left in this country. I talked to one last night that were former Interstate Commerce Commission employees. I was one. I worked for the ICC for three years. We dealt with brokers. We dealt with motor carriers. And we actually had some pretty strong enforcement against brokers who came into business, uh, tendered out a lot of freight, then didn't pay the freight charges. And most of the time or some of the time, those folks just ran off with the money. It's just that simple. So we really need a list, trust, in which brokers we cannot trust. And, And a side note, I saw this week that uh, Mr. Allen Lund of Allen Lund and Company, brokers out of California, passed away this week. He was one of the best brokers oh, this country, man. his firm still is. And um, I had an opportunity to go out and do some work for them after, shortly after I retired. Met Mr. Allen, spent a little bit of time with him. Very interesting individual. Um, had an old truck out there, you know, that a real old antique truck sitting there in front of the business. So I had an opportunity to do that. And and they, it was with a lot of lot of sadness this week when I saw he'd passed away. I didn't want to get off on all that. Been an OICC man. Talked to another one last night for about an hour and a half. The guy trained me when I went to work for the Interstate Commerce Commission. And we had a lot of fun. We we thought we were doing some good stuff. Congress didn't think so, and they, they shut us down in uh, 19, I want to say 95. I'll get it right in a minute. Uh, I had left the agency before they shut them down. I saw it coming. I said, I better go somewhere else. I went to the Federal Highway Administration in the truck safety side. Then I went to the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration when it was created in 2000. I was a district, I was a division administrator of the FMCSA in the Tennessee Division Office for about 15 years. Dealt with all my truckers in Tennessee. And in the last few years of my career, I spent quite a bit of time in Washington, what we call the ivory tower, where all the big decisions were made, you know, and I, I got a good insight into that. I didn't mean to get into all of that. We'll talk about ELDs, and, and if anybody has any questions, we'll certainly be more willing, glad, more than glad to, uh, to entertain those questions. This week, FMCSA finally put out the points that they were going to assign for violation 
of the ELD regulations on roadside inspections. I thought I might run through these for just a minute. The first one is no Absolutely. record of duty status. Yeah, no record of duty status when an ELD is required. In other words, you're required to have an ELD, but you don't have an ELD. That'll carry five points. Uh, no record of duty status when one is required or is not required, actually. Uh, but no record of duty status, even though uh, an ELD was not required. For example, our, our, our livestock haulers, and I'll come back to that in a little while. We'll talk a little bit more about the livestock transporters. But that's five points. Not using the appropriate method to record hours of service. I'm not sure what that is. That must not. That must just be not not having either a log or an ELD, and that would carry five points. And then failing to provide supporting documents in the driver's possession upon request. That was interesting to me. What kind of documents are, is a driver required to have? So I dove into the Good regulations question. and looked. At, yeah, I dove into regulation, looked at exactly what the regulation is cited for, and it's it basically just says any document the driver has in his possession in the form that that it was provided to him. So in other words, bill of lading maybe, uh, I guess maybe a toll ticket. If you went through a toll somewhere. I'm still struggling with what some of the others may be. I mean, why did we go to ELDs? Come on, guys. We went to ELDs, so we didn't care, have to carry a whole bunch of paperwork with us and didn't have to keep a whole bunch of paperwork in our office after we was through. But the government kind of thinks we're all criminals out here, and I'm no longer with the government. I've been retired 11 years, but and and they don't trust anything we do. They put the ELD rule in place because – they didn't trust our paper log books. Of course, they had plenty of reasons not to trust our paper log books, but they didn't trust them. So they said, okay, we're going to make you go to ELDs. But guess what? You're still going to have to keep all these supporting documents so we can compare them to the ELD. Well, that's interesting. So we'll um, we'll see where that goes. But that carries seven points. That's the most points of any of the violations in the ELD. Operating a device that is not registered with FMCSA. Well, I think it's a carrier's responsibility if you're going to implement the ELD. You need to make sure it is a ELD registered with FMCSA. Most of the providers will tell you that. There may still be a few more out there that, that are not yet registered. I doubt there's too many, but there may be a few. Portable ELD not mounted in a fixed position and visible to the driver. I've seen some write-ups on that already. It just carries one point, but it's a violation. It'll go on your CSA scores. It'll go on your PSP, pre-employment screening program uh, uh, report card that any motor carrier can get. So you want to make sure that, that if you're using a, a handheld phone or something, it's got to be uh, mounted. So I guess we want to spend $10, get one of the little mounts, where we can mount it on the dashboard. Um, Driver failing to maintain a user's manual, an ELD user's manual. In other words, every truck's got to have a user's manual in it so that these these uh, roadside inspectors can figure out how to use the system, how they can view it themselves, carries one point. Driver failing to maintain the ELD instruction sheet, same thing, carries one point. Driver failing to maintain instruction sheet for ELD malfunction reporting requirements, 
So you got to have this instruction sheet that says that if this thing fails, this is what you're supposed to do. This more stuff looks to me like so that we can be cited for violations out on the side of the road. Driver failing to maintain supply of blank log books. You got to have some blank log books in your truck with you. So if you don't, stop at the next truck stop. Put a book in the door pouch. Let's have a book. Let's don't get caught that one little one-point deal there. Driver failing to make annotations when appropriate. Well, I'm not sure what they're talking about there, but it's probably like adverse driving conditions. That's one of the questions that I get more than probably anything else. Pers uh, use of commercial motor vehicle, personal use. you got to annotate that on that log so that somebody can see that if you drove off route over the weekend, why you drove off route. So if you drove off route, go home, come back on the weekend where you started from, left terminal, go back home, come back to terminal next on, on Monday morning or something, you got to annotate that that movement was use of commercial motor vehicle personal use. Uh, let me see where I'm at. Driver failing to manually add location description. I don't know. I'm going to let you try to figure out what that one is because the machine tells us. <laughs> The machine tells us where we are. It's got GPS tracking, you know. Um, driver failed to add. Driver failed to add file comments per safety officer's request. I don't know, man. That's one point. Uh, driver failing to manually add CMV power unit number. Wow, wow. That's a biggie. One point. Um, driver failed to manually add the trailer number. Wow. Why do we care? You know, when I was there, that's the kind of things I used to raise. Why do we care? Why do we care which trailer you're pulling? We're worried about what you're doing, not what vehicle you're doing. Well, we might need to go back and make sure that, that there was a driver vehicle inspection report made that day. We might need to go back and make sure... I'm whining a little bit. That's kind of what they did up there in D.C. when I was around. They whined. We might want to see if that trailer had an annual inspection, you know. So, anyway, they were glad when I retired. Don't misunderstand me at all. Driver failed to manually add shipping document information. My God. I, I wish I knew how many wrecks we had over the years because the driver didn't, didn't enter on his logbook shipping information. There's probably, probably none. None. But it's a regulation that carries one point. Driver failed to select, deselect, or annotate special driving category or exempt status. So probably about my agriculture haulers. You know, my agriculture haulers are totally exempt from the hours of service regulation within 150 miles. And there's all kind of guidance out there. So I guess if I run the first 150 miles out, I'm exempt. And then if I go out further than that, I'm not exempt anymore. Or maybe I ran this morning at agriculture and tonight I'm running outside of 150-mile radius. I got to indicate that this morning I was under the agricultural exemption. Driver failed to certify the accuracy of the information. He didn't click on I certified. One point. All this is one point. Failing to follow the prompts from ELD when editing, adding missing information. Wow. Now we get into a few higher points. Driver failed to assume or decline underside driving time. That's five points. That's pretty. That's pretty clear. You know, if here, how come, let me come back to that. Failing to note malfunction that requires use of paper law. 
So if the thing malfunctions, I guess somehow or another, you got to go in there somehow and say, we'll use a paper log. I'm not sure how we're going to do that. But, you know, we, we know that drivers are going to run out of hours. And we know that drivers are going to want to get on to the destination or get home or whatever the case may be. And we have drivers who do what? They turn the thing off or they trip the brake. Unplug it. <laughs> or put, unplug it, yeah. And and those are unassigned miles. They show up in reports. The company gets immediate reports telling them that this driver, this vehicle moved. We don't know who is driving it. Let's say that you go out today and you jump in the truck, you take off, you forget to enter your code number, and you you make a trip and you never did enter. When the, the, the company all, always knows the vehicle's moving. And we don't know who's driving it, so that's that's an issue too. So that's that's what they put out for us this week, and uh, I, I don't have any great big heartache to any of it. The problem you're gonna have with ELDs that most carriers have got them implemented now. Most drivers are using them, and we're getting pretty good at it now. When you talk about CSA SMS scores, the percentile ranking scores. That means that they're going to measure every, they got five groups of carriers, basically based on size. It's more or less a simple term, based on size of the carrier. So in that peer group, they call them peer groups, it's not going to take many violations to kick you to the top. Now, bell curve measurement system, they don't call it bell curve measurement system. That's a Rick Gobble term. They don't like that term. They call it percentile (laughs) ranking. Percentile ranking in Waynesburg, Tennessee, where I grew up, is called a bell curve. If I if I didn't do good on a test, I prayed the teacher would curve the score. So 35% will always fail, no matter no matter how good or how bad the class is. But if you do percentile ranking and you got a carrier that gets six, seven, one points at a time, he may very well be the 99 percentile, be the worst carrier out there because he had these few violations, and when you bell curve it, then all of a sudden he's the worst carrier out there because all these other carriers had no violations. So the agency is is determined to keep CSA SMS alive, even though Hank Seaton, we talked about Hank, and myself and, and several others worked real hard and got Congress to make them take those scores down from public view. The agency has now had conducted the National Academy of Science, I think National Academy of Science, I think that's right, a study on it, how they can improve it. They're going to re-implement it. They're going to put them scores back out there. They're going to keep trying to get the brokers to only use carriers with good scores, not bad scores. If you use carriers with bad scores, they have a wreck, guess what they're going to sue? They're going to sue the broker for negligent entrustment or the shipper, whoever it may be. But anyway, that, that in a nutshell, is where we are on uh, ELD, SMS scoring uh, methodology. And where do we go from here? I don't know. We'll see. But I got a feeling we're going to see more and more on this as we go along. Okay, well, Rick, I got a, a couple of questions for you, and I'd definitely be remiss if I didn't tell you thank you for the kind words a little earlier about uh, about the show. We definitely appreciate that. But um, say, for instance, you know, most of our audience is, is the one truck Charlie crowd. We, you know, uh, we got guys out there that may have a, 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 a small fleet or whatever, but most of most of this is basically small owner operators. So say, for instance, right. you, you come home for the weekend and you turn the truck in, you go drop your truck off at the mechanic shop or whatever. 
And the mechanic uh, with this ELD thing, the mechanic uh, has to work on your truck or whatever, and he needs to test drive it or whatever. And, and then you get a couple of, of miles or whatever that get accumulated while it may be in the possession of the mechanic. How does that, because the mechanic doesn't necessarily have a log in on your ELD, and it's going to, all that stuff is going to be showing up. Just a question that, that I've, I've seen that, 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 you know, how, how would that be handled? I think what's going to happen is when the driver gets back in his truck and puts code in his truck, especially on the one, t- one truck guy, something's going to come up on that screen and say, you have some unassigned mileage. There's some unassigned mileage on this truck. Now, I think through annotation, that's why they use that term a lot in the ELD regulation. I think in annotation, you'll be able to go in there and you'll be able to put in there with comments who drove the truck and why. So you'd be able to say the truck was in the shop at Peterbilt of uh, of uh, Louisville and mechanic drove it a test over for a few miles. That should take care of it because the ELD tracking will show them exactly where it went. I think the most I think the most important thing to do is make sure you get it in there. If you don't get it in there, then somebody's going to think that you run around there in, in Louisville trying to find a load or do something of that nature and you trying to hide hours of service and you can get your full 10 hour break that you should have got or something like that. So be sure to go in there and annotation, annotate what happened uh, when that truck moved and there was no driver that logged into the system to tell me his one driving. Got you. Got you. Um, so we got, uh, let's see here. I think we got someone that has a question for us calling in. Looks like Bruce has a question for us. Bruce, you're up and on board with Rico and Rick. How can we help? Good night. Good good evening, Rico. And how are you guys doing tonight? Oh, doing good, well, man. Bruce, living large. <laughs> hey, I I saw those those safety score that CSA points that were coming out, and yeah. I I don't have a big problem with most of them, but the one that I guess just gets under my skin and gets in my craw is the one about not having the ELD mounted properly. I know, yeah. You know, my logbook wrote on the seat, it wrote in the door panel, it wrote in the cubby hole above the, you know, it wrote wherever I stuck it for the last 40 years, and the dang thing never, ever jumped out and ran away from me. Why the heck do I have <laughs> to have an ELD mounted on the dash in view of the driver? That's I mean, so that in the that's so that in the event you get inspected, the, the officer can enter that vehicle and see that ELD. It, it, it's it's almost what I used to say. Sometimes these regulations are written by five-year-olds that have absolutely no background or experience in trucking. As long as a guy can hand it to you, or as long as you can hold it and show it to the guy, who cares? Who cares? Well, that, that's, you know, it, it's oh, it's government overreach. It, it's them making us do things that we that this serves no safety purpose. You know, I've looked at all the aftermarket mounting devices that they have for iPads and yeah. cell phones and whatnot, and every last one of them, they want you to stick to the windshield. And yet, several states in this country will ding you if you have anything on the windshield. So, you know, mm-hmm. great point. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Well, the federal regulations, and I, Bruce, I don't 
I'm not sitting here looking at it, but I, if I'm not mistaken, you got four inches. You can't have anything on the window four inches. Is it four inches? Do you know offhand, Bruce? Well, I think Above it's something the like edge that. Or, of the window. Three, but three I've also inches heard in the something. sweep of the wiper, too. Yeah, but, but I think the agency has come out and said that if you mount something required by the regulations, for example, you know what, well, we got these uh, pre-pass, not pre-pass, yeah. uh, easy-pass cards and things. And they've said right, if it's required right. by the regulations, then then you can mount it. So I don't think it'd be a violation, but I would try to stay away from it. It's it's the you know what is it? Let's err on the side of caution. We can't stand these scores. Let's find something that we can mount to the dash, or, or mount to the doghouse, or whatever we may have, so that so that we don't have to run into that. Now I tell you, UPS and them. When they first come out with these onboard recording devices years ago, buddy, they mounted them right up there in the windshield, and I don't think we could ever do anything about that. Well, but but know, don't I, risk I, it. Well, I know, and I, I I'm tempted just to keep my my electronic device stuck where I've had it for the last forty years, and if an officer says something, I'll say, well, if you want to give me a point, that's on you, and. You know, use your better judgment. For the last 40 years, my yeah. logbook wrote anywhere in this cab you wanted it to, and you didn't care. Yeah. Well, it, the know. problem with that, Bruce, and I use, I've said this a lot, of course, on the Nemo show. I've said never start feeding the bear. Because once I know. you start feeding the bear, it's hard to stop feeding them, you know. So let's avoid, every, let's avoid everything we can. Um I would say that, that the agency has some guidance on that. Get on their website, fmcsa.dot.dot.gov. If I'd known you was going to call in, I would have researched it and let you know. I believe we can mount it, but don't take my word for it. Let's find something, something that says we can mount it on the windshield, and let's don't start feeding that bear. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm figuring out a different way because I don't like things mounted on my windshield. For one, it, I don't like blocking I know. two and two. They never stay there. They yeah. fall off, and then you got mess. You they know, do. So. You, but, you lick, you lick them to just, death, and they still fall off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I with just, you I on that. that but hey, let's, <laughs> I tell you what, you know, where are you from, Bruce? Kansas. Well, you know, us from Tennessee and some of them folks from Kansas, you know, we know what sheet metal screws are. We can, we can run sheet metal oh, screws in them. <laughs> yeah, I can figure out. I figure out ways to do it, you know, that are my engineering <laughs> methods. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, we call it redneck engineering in the South, you know. Well, I, I've called it other things that I probably shouldn't say on the air. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, Bruce, you got, Bruce? you got anything else for us? Uh, Rico, you do a good job. I appreciate every time I can call in and listen to you. And it's just a, it's an hour of, of pleasure some weeks when I need something to lighten up my day a little bit. Oh, hey, definitely, Rico. Definitely appreciate my, the kind words. Yeah. Hey, Rico, my dad was an owner-operator with McLean, Truck, McLean Freight Lines out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, that got me through school. That got me health care. Got me dental care. <laughs> you know, it got me everything I got all those years. But I was enjoying your rates. You're, you're talking about the rates out of different areas, you know. And Dad ran a flatbed, a special commodity division, 
uh, with McLean back in the 70s and early until deregulation. Deregulation killed them, you know, in ni- 1980. But the late 60s and 70s, and more, he he could, he hauled some good paying freight. I mean, he pay, he hauled in 1975 freight at the rate that you're talking about today. So that's kind of what deregulation did to us. I remember one time Dad got a load out of the Shenango Valley up in Ohio, there in Pennsylvania. You know, I think he's out of Youngstown, Ohio, down to Dallas. I think that thing paid five dollars a mile. And that nineteen seventy five, that's a lot of money. Now the downside was, and I noticed this in your rate structure, is when it when they got to Dallas, they'd have sat there four or five days oh, yeah. to get a load out, and then when they got a load out, it didn't pay nothing. So Dad right. and them would just dead head back to Memphis, you know, and try to pick up some good freight, some core steel or some beams or something and go back up east and but but he made some good money and I'm I'm those rates that you quoted it's kind of, some of them, some of them are still pretty, in my opinion, pretty depressed. Uh, but some of those rates, if you can't make money in trucking at those rates, you probably need to get some other kind of business. Are you there, Rick? What happened? I am. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Something happened. I had a technical glitch. My, my call dropped out, so I wanted to make sure everything was still up and on board right here live on the show. I didn't know that. That's I never had that happen before. Uh got a caller calling <laughs> me in. Uh, it's got a question for us. Let's go and grab Chad. Chad, you're up and on board with Rico and Rick. How can we help? Uh, uh, I'm beyond help. Um Sir, when you were talking about that, hey, I caught a baseball in my head when I was six because I wasn't coordinated enough to race the glove. And I, I dropped like a stuck hog, my dad said, and he said I came through 20 minutes later screaming for an icy. So, uh, but I'm good now, thank goodness. Um, but when you were talking about the mounting device of that ELD, man, I'll tell you what, if that, that, that might almost qualify for harassment. Uh, hey, I, mean, I don't I, agree. I, 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 I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, you know, I, I'll go to CVS. I used to go to CVSA. I've been going to commercial vehicle safety alliance meetings every year for the last five or six years. That's where they they write the out of service criteria. They decide what is so such a defect that's likely to cause a crash or or a breakdown. And they don't like me there. And I don't like them anymore. I'll be the first one to tell you that. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm gonna write them a letter and tell them that I'm not gonna fool with them anymore because you got police officers writing rules, and with FMCSA you got people sitting in there writing rules that know absolutely nothing about the trucking industry. They know absolutely nothing about what causes crashes and what doesn't cause a crash. I applaud the current administration for trying to get these government agencies to reduce some of these these unnecessary regulations. If it if it is not likely to contribute to to a crash, or if it's not likely to contribute to a breakdown, because we don't need breakdowns out there on the road either. I'm gonna tell you those things are tremendously dangerous. 
then it ought yeah. not be a regulation. I'm with you on that. And not only that, man, because, see, there's a, uh, there's a pretty good uh, a radio station. Uh, it's on the Internet. It's called Rule of Law Radio. And they said that in Texas, for example, if you have a CDO, whether you're driving the truck or not, uh, and you, import, you invoke your rights, uh, it's going to be very seriously frowned upon. You could possibly get arrested. But at the same time, uh, they cannot, you cannot be held by any peace officer for an extended period of time because it's a, that would be illegal and there's case law that backs that up on and, and the case law where they ruled in favor, ruled against law enforcement, they said, hey, that's harassment. And uh, that's one of those things that the guy that writes that violation uh, is either really desperate for a promotion or he just is one of these things that He's one of these guys out here that just thinks structure the problem, and if you take them off the road, everything will be solved when that's not the case. But I'll tell you honestly, when I hear you say, like, those small ones like that, there's a couple other ones I don't remember exactly what you said, but I don't know. I don't see them actually being enforced. I, I mean, I, and I'm looking at it from a peace officer standpoint, man. That, would, that wouldn't even be worth my time writing somebody up over. Well, the most dangerous people in our country are government employees that don't have enough to do or they can't find enough violations to support their jobs. Think about right. that. Oh, I That's know. what this is uh, all about. Uh, a good a guy I graduated high school with uh, works in Senator Rand Paul's office, and I asked him, I said, how would I put my name on the hat for FMCSA director in the trial? Because I would have put my name in it if I knew what to do. And... Uh, he got. He asked some people around there in Washington, and they said, uh, "If you're not," he, he basically said, "There's a there's an inner circle there, and if you're an unknown, especially with Mitch McConnell's wife running the Department of Transportation, and I don't know what makes her qualified to be the head of the Department of Transportation, apart from the fact she's married to, to the old guy on the block and he's retired to go fishing on the Kentucky Lakes." Uh, but uh, yeah, he said it, it's. The people that the person's going to get that job is is on an inner circle. Well, if you think about the guy that got the job at the Federal Highway Administration, I don't know him. I've never met him. I don't know anything about him. His name is Martinez. He was the uh, he was in charge of driver's license in the state of either New Jersey or New York. He was put up there by Chris Christie. Now. The FMCSA career bureaucrats' dream, their dream, is to get an administrator that knows absolutely nothing about what they do, how they do it, or why they do it. When I was there, we call our we call ourselves the Weebies. We be here when these political pointies get here, and we be here when these political pointies are gone. And in the meantime, it's our job to keep them focused on their ideas. Whatever we do, don't let them start drilling down into our daily activities. That's how we did it. That's what that's what this administration said about the swamp. And while I think there's been some movement to try to help and maybe some things that have helped, I think the EPA administrator has done some good things to reduce some regulations. As far as I know, there's not been one regulation at FMCSA dropped since this administration come into office. 
close, and I don't expect there'll be one. Now, let me ask you this. So there's been some confusion going around on over the, the 99 motor thing where you, where you have a truck with an engine that was built before 99, you could run paper. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, it, it just had, it, it, Kevin talks about it. He said it just has to be a 99 mile year or older model. model. But my problem is, is what happens when you get to, like I said, with that one, somebody that's either dead themselves so they can uh sponsor doesn't understand that regulation. You get keep how you uh keep put out of service. Do you pull do you do you subscribe to one of those legal services to get up on the phone? Well you know, once they put us out of service, you gotta remember that the roadside inspection Yeah. Yeah, you're breaking up on me pretty bad too. I I'm trying to answer trying to get the most of it as I can. But you got to remember, your roadside inspection is your trial. Everything else is an appeal. Whatever you do, don't fight them at the roadside inspection. They're going to do what they're going to do, and then we have to appeal it after that. And if it means a 10 hours of off-duty time now, what I'm waiting on, and, of course, anytime you, you scrape together about $100,000, I know about 10 attorneys would be more than glad to take this case. If somebody puts you out of service, they were wrong. I think they're required to reimburse you for your lost time, but you're not going to get no great big settlement, and you can't spend that kind of money to fight them, and they know that. But, you know, I do data cues for drivers on a regular basis. I I like fairly. I like to file them. I've, I've had some battles. Alabama right now is so mad at me the state of Alabama, if they could come up here and get me, they'd take me back down there and lynch me somewhere on an oak tree down there. I was in Alabama last week, and I didn't bother to tell anybody I was down there. But they hate my guts over <laughs> me making them. What I did, I made them give me they, – they, they, You got. I don't jump your question, Chad. I hope I answer your question. Let me tell you about this data cube. This drive, one of our drivers, a driver, got stopped. Officer got him up there in a patrol car and questioned him about marijuana. And I thought, you got any marijuana, anything? You ever smoked any marijuana? And, of course, the guy wasn't smart enough to say, no, I never have. But he said, oh, yeah, I've smoked a little marijuana at a different time in my life. He said, you got any on that truck? The guy said, not as far as I know. But anyway, the officer leaves the driver in the patrol car, goes back there and searches his truck, and finds a little bit of what he thinks is marijuana in that little, in a suitcase. Now, this is the driver's side. In a suitcase, you know that little how the old suitcases used to have that little flap on the on the inside, and you put your toothpaste and stuff in there. And he comes back, and he's got just a little bit of what he thinks marijuana. So he says, "Okay, I tell you what, you ain't got enough here to bother bother with. I'm not. I'm just going to write you a warning, and we're going to pour it out here on the ground in this mud hole here, and you're going to be able to go on." I put you out of service. I'm going to let you go up the truck stop 10 hours. Well, we we said, first of all, you don't have any evidence it's marijuana. Second of all, when did my driver, my driver said, I never admitted to mine. I said, my son has used that briefcase, I mean, that suitcase. Maybe it was, maybe my son left it in there. So then the, the Alabama come back and said, oh, no, he confessed to it. We got it on videotape. I said, okay, that's good. Send me a copy of the videotape. No, we're not going to send you a copy of the videotape. Well, why would you not send me a copy of the videotape? We're not going to send you a copy of the videotape. 
I talked to the attorney general's office in Alabama, and I said, we're going to copy the videotape. Well, three or four weeks go by, and they said, okay, I think you're going to get a copy of the videotape. I called Alabama back down there. Okay, they said we can have it. Well, they didn't tell us. They said you could have it. I mean, it's like children. Whoa. Finally, they finally they agreed to give it to me last week, and then they said, okay, you got to send me a blank CD, and you got to send me a $10 fee, and you got to send me a self-addressed stamped envelope back to you. <laughs> which I did, and I still don't have it. Now, my driver, you know, stories oh. change. I don't know what's going to be on that videotape, but that'd be an interesting videotape, uh, audio tape. It's both been taken in the patrol car, but I've never seen anybody just bow up. I actually had to call the division administrator of Alabama and the filament of FMCSA, the field administrator out of Atlanta, uh, which I know them all. I worked there a long time, trained most of them. And finally had to get them involved to even get it. And I still don't have it. But yet it's on CSA, it's on SMS, carries losing business because it's got a alert and, and control something. And this driver is never going to be able to get a job until this falls off of this PSP. But other than that, life's a beach. And I just move on. I'm going to go ahead and drive my tractor around a little while. That's, that's, my, that's my therapy. <laughs> Well, Rick, uh, before we get out of here, I got a couple more calls and ask some questions. But I'd like to get definitely right. give you an opportunity to tell the good people out there uh, how they can get in contact with you uh, if they need any help pertaining to uh, data cues or any of that stuff, which is a service that you provide. How can people find you and get in contact with you? Well, I'm not hard to find. All you got to do is look at Rick Gobble. Look at Rick Gobble on Google, and you'll find rickgobble.com. And uh, I think I've still got my website up. I'm trying to rebuild it. I've been so busy on expert witness cases here lately. I'm on several. I do a lot of expert witness cases. I do defense. I don't do plaintiff. I would do plaintiff, I guess, if anybody ever asked me to. But I just do a lot of defense cases. I have to do a lot, of, read a lot of that depositions and and uh, file a lot of reports and things. But that's okay. I, I, I enjoy doing that. I also help a lot of carers get out of trouble once they get conditional safety rating. I have quit. I've had to quit trying to help people once they get an unsatisfactory. I, I've got a poor guy up in Chicago. They've had they've had uh, shut down for 13 months. But rickgobble.com, if you can't find that, you'll find, my, you'll find me on the Internet. I ain't hard to find. I'm not hiding from anybody. I'm an old Tennessee boy raised up down there in the sticks. It doesn't a whole lot better than my high school principal ever thought I would. It's just just what I do, you know. I truck drive a motorcycle. It don't matter. We we didn't we didn't know growing up there wasn't anything you couldn't do. You know, we didn't know you had to have a license to do anything. We just did it. I was driving a truck for the county, seventeen years old. You know, driving a low bore trailer, pulling a bulldozer. I didn't know. The old boy said one day, "You drive that thing." I said, "If I can get her started, I can drive it." And you know, that's just what there we did go. down there. And, to <laughs> figure it out later on. He said, I tell you what, if if you drive that thing down in the south part of the county, you get back alive and let you drive it again. <laughs> yeah. Well one one more real quick one and, and Matt, I see you we coming to you coming to, coming right to you. Uh back to that to, to that uh exemption portion on the ELD uh if you have a ninety nine, what is the level right. of the law? It's like sometimes 
you got you got a truck that may be may be registered as a two thousand, but on the if you look at the yeah. engine stamp or something like that, it may be it may have been manufactured in ninety nine. How does that work out? How does that play out? Can you, well, you know any can you age, provide any clarity on that? Yeah, yeah, the agency kicked that around for six months before they ever they first said, well, we're going to look at the serial number, whatever the serial number said, we're going to do. Then they had to go back and change it. I'm not real sure. I've got it, and I'll be more than glad to give it to somebody if they want it. Uh, but if it's if it's probably a if it's a 2000, it was probably manufactured in '99. And and the ECM, the problem with the truck is the ECM will not connect to the ECM receiver, and the data in the ECM will not support an ELD. That's the problem. And now you get into glider kits. What if I had an old tractor, you know, and and for whatever reason I tore the cab off of it, put a glider kit on it. Well, you've got a glider kit now that's a 2005, but you've got a frame and a engine in it. But I, t- I, I told the story. I, I got a good friend that that he he worried, he always livestock. He worried death about that. But anyway, he he called me one day, and I don't know if anybody knows who Fitzgerald is. Fitzgerald's kind of a uh, people oh, yeah. who uh, I think yeah everybody knows Fitzgerald, but anyway I said I can see old Fitzgerald up there right now pulling every one of them old motors and frames out of that junkyard up there trying to get them go again so he could get more for them <laughs> right now than he'd ever got for them you know. <laughs> but yes, anyway, we sir. Have a lot of yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, well let's go before we jump get out of here. Let's go grab Matt real quick. Matt, you're up and on board with Rico and Rick. How can we help? Oh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Just a couple of quick hey, comments. Uh, one about the 99 engine there. I'm in that situation. Uh, it's a 99 engine. Uh, it's actually a 2002 truck. It was an older yeah. engine. It had been rebuilt and put in this truck it's long before yeah. the ELD rule ever even was announced. So right. <clears throat> not for any reason, but – and I ran – um, the AOBR for a year now. Well, the latest update, now it no longer talks to my ECM anymore. Yeah. So just to be proactive until I find a new one to use, because I would prefer to be under one just for a liability issue, um, I have, I got a Caterpillar engine, so I have the serial number from the Caterpillar's website, the date this engine was built, the date it was tested, the date it was shipped, all dated 99. And yeah. then I also have the email from my ELD company stating that they do not support a 99 engine. Yeah. So well, good. at least I have something to show to the officer, you know, to That's right. say, hey, you know, I'm trying. <laughs> um, well, hey, laminate it. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so in case it gets wet, you know, laminate it and hang it from the sun visor, man. Do something. I don't know. But I think you're probably right. If you need to, if anybody needs those guidance, he's dropped me an email. I'll, I'll email you back the latest guidance FMCSA has about the motor trucks and older engines. Yeah. And then the uh, mounting of the unit. That's almost a catch-22 there. Uh, yeah. You don't want to permanently mount it. It's got to be removable. Because one of the requirements is you have to be able to hand it to the officer and he can look at it while he's standing on the ground. Now, I hadn't seen that. 
is that is that in the regulation or is that truck stop law? Uh, boy, I'm pretty sure I read that in the regulation. I guess I'm not positive where I read that. It might have only been an article, but. Those, yeah, I know those units at UPS and those FedEx and them run. You'd have to do some pretty strong disconnecting. I mean, it. I don't. Now, I'm not. I'm not arguing with Ned. I don't ever argue with anybody because a lot of times people read stuff I don't read. But um, you know, I always say, "Where did you see that?" That's, I, I learned that in government years ago. You know, never argue with man. Just say, "Where did you find that? Where did you see that?" I'd be glad to look at it. So go back and look at that again. I've not seen that. But that doesn't mean you're not right. Yeah, I'll, I'll double check on that one. And, and the comment uh, about the government, we call that the good old boy club. It, it is. And, and, and <laughs> hey, I was part of it. You know, I was part of it for 32 and a half years. And every time somebody attacked us, what's the first thing we did? We circled our wagons. We had, we had yep. how did I respond? If we got a letter... And it was from a congressman or senator. We got to huddle together. How are we going to respond to this? How are we going to defend ourselves? And I, and when I was young, I thought that was what I should be doing. But as I got older, I got thinking, hey, this ain't right. You know, I, when I went to work for the government, I was told I was a public servant. And I took an oath of office. The people now are told they're government servants. There's a great big difference in a public servant and a government servant. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, you know, our government is of the people, by the people, for the people. But that's they're right. there now to protect themselves, yeah. That's right. You're exactly so. right. And and I've said that a hundred times. I, and I don't, I think we need to go back to like we were. You know, somebody call me, what can I do to help you? That's my job. But that's you know, time's gone by, man. Well, good talk to you, Nat. Yep, you guys have a good evening. All right, all right, Matt. We appreciate it, and we want to definitely thank want to thank uh, Rick for taking time out of his schedule to come on board and chat with us here for the past hour and and kind of inform us and keep us up to date on what's going on and get us make sure we're on the straight and narrow where it comes to the ELD uh, compliance mandate. To uh, thank Kevin and Lisa Rutherford for providing us with the platform to be able to bring this show to you on a weekly basis. And best, certainly not least, we want to thank you guys, the listeners, for taking time out of your schedule to participate, download, tell a friend to tell a friend, listening in with us. We definitely appreciate all your support in helping us bring the show to you. Uh, last but not least, I would like if you guys could uh, shoot me some information over on the Race and Lanes Facebook page. I am going to be participating in uh, Randall Riley is having a uh, R-squared con- uh, convention over in Tuscaloosa, Alabama on uh, the 24th. And uh, I've been privileged enough to actually be on the panel with Randall Riley, and they're going to be talking about driver respect. Want to know what are some things that out there that you guys can throw just different things, different experiences that you have seen or come across as far as driver disrespect and different things you that you've had to contend with, so that I can also add that to some of the things that I have personally experienced, so we can kind of give a, a, a real world synopsis on this panel that we're going to be attending on Tuesday. I definitely would appreciate some of you guys' feedback on that. And with that being said, Rick, anything you want to say closing us out? No, hey, 
uh, Rico, I like the name of this show, Rick and Rico. <laughs> <laughs> we might be on a good ring. <laughs> had, had a good ring to it, didn't it? <laughs> now, I said yes, Rick sir. and Rico. Yes, I, I, didn't, I, didn't say, I didn't say Rico and Rick. You noticed that, didn't you? <laughs> it, 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 it don't matter. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I don't. I don't need to be on the front line. As long as I'm in, as long as I'm in the building, I'm happy. Well, I enjoyed it. Appreciate you coming. Appreciate the opportunity to participate in it. Maybe we do it again one day. Absolutely, Rick. I definitely appreciate it. Thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to join us. All right, man. Have a good day. Everybody, be said. safe out there. Yes, sir, you too. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, God bless you. Good night, and we'll see you, God willing, and we'll talk with you same time, same place next week. And until that time, you guys keep it in between the mustard and the mayonnaise, and we'll talk to you later. God bless you. Good night. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.